It looks that we're going to have a very hot day. So the air is off so that hopefully you could hear me. I'm not sure it's a worthy trade. You'll see that I have um, one of my favorite books, The Hidden Heart of Man by our commander Zacharias. I have a couple of passages that I'd like to read for you today. And I'm always excited to be able to share something of um, Saint Sophroni and Archimandrite Zacharias. We all came to church today for many reasons, many different reasons. And today, specifically, has an interesting liturgical title. It is the Sunday after Transfiguration. And as you notice, as you came into church today, you were venerating still the icon from last week, the icon of the Transfiguration. Most of us came here today because we have a desire for an encounter with Jesus Christ. We want communion with him. Some of us may not know exactly why we came today. We came out of habit. We came compelled by the love of God. But most of us in our Christian lives are seeking communion with him and with each other but some degree of revelation, some degree of transfiguration in our lives. Now the gospel today that I just read starts out, as many gospels on Sunday do, at that time. But if you read in the actual Bible what's there, at that time is the time in which they were walking down the mountain, that is, Jesus and his three foremost disciples. And it says they were approaching a crowd. At that time is immediately after the transfiguration. And they brought to the disciple, they came to a man who had said he brought, let me read it, sorry. They came, came to a, a man came up to Jesus and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic. Some translations say he was a lunatic. And he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Jesus answers, O faithless and perverse generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Now when he says this to them, O faithless and perverse generation, how long am I to bear with you? The fathers of the church say that he is not addressing the disciples in this case. He is focused on the man. And it's him who is an example of a person who lacks faith. It's not impatience or exasperation that he says, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? But rather, it's his very human response to the very godly reality that he knows that his time is short. That it, within the next 40 days, he will be hung on a cross for the salvation of the world. Now, after this, the disciples who had been sent out before by Jesus to heal and to cast out demons in the various villages in Galilee, who had been given power to do this, they came and asked him, 
privately, worried perhaps that somehow the grace that they'd been given had been lost. And they asked him, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if, a, if you have faith as a, mustard, a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move hence to yonder place, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. This kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Now Christ is not giving them a formula for casting out demons. Well, first you have to fast, and then there's prayer. But he is speaking to them of a condition of their hearts, of patient, trusting hope, of faith. Their faith is still small. Fasting does not just refer to a dietary restrictions, but it implies a patient time of preparation, kind of like us who've been fasting these last two weeks in anticipation of celebrating the great feast of the remission of the Theotokos. Fasting implies that we're taking time to prepare, a little humility, a little self-emptying, so that we can make room for what we hope that God will do. As Father Matthew pointed out in his homily last week, all of us desire transformation, transfiguration, and a revelation of God in our lives. Specifically, we want God to transform certain things in our lives. We have relationships that need help, that need healing. We have jobs that we don't want and problems. We need help with our children. All of our circumstances. We seek God's wisdom. We want him to heal our brokenness that comes up over and over and over again. And what are the conditions for us to be transfigured in the day-to-day -day and in our hearts? Well, Father mentioned them last week. Humility, simplicity, the desire for peace. And these are things that we must cultivate. But as I was reading this week, I would like to add one thing to this list. And the thing that I would like to add that probably most of us lacks to some degree is silence. Now the Greek word for silence is isikia, if I'm saying that correctly. Silence or quiet. On Wednesday this week, we will celebrate the memory of St. Joseph the Hesychast. It's the same word. St. Joseph the silent. St. Joseph the quiet. I'd like to read to you something that St. Sophroni said. This is quoting um, Archimandra Zacharias. He says, Father Sophroni has a very beautiful word on the feast of the transfiguration. He says, the Lord, before showing his glory to his disciples, neither spoke nor performed any miracles for one whole week, but remained in prayer together with them. Now, how does he get this? If we go back to the scripture reading for the transfiguration, it begins with 
and six days later, from the previous stories, it says, and six days later. And St. Sophroni, in his careful reading of scripture, says that this shows us that our Lord, before his transfiguration, didn't speak or perform any miracles, but he remained together with his disciples in prayer. His aim was to show them that the revelation of God is given when the spirit of man prays in silence in the spirit of God. The Holy Fathers say that Christ himself was born in the silence of the unoriginate Father. The Mother of God received the revelation of the gospel of God, which represents the glory of God. When Joshua laid siege to Jericho, he commanded the Israelites to do nothing but to remain in Hesekiah, silence, for seven days. And on the seventh day, the trumpets blew and the walls of Jericho fell by themselves. There are plenty of examples in the scriptures which show us that every creative word is preceded by Ezekiah, silence. The conclusion to be drawn is that we must first find our heart in Ezekiah, in silence, for the word of God to be born there. If we wish to be transfigured, if we wish to experience God's revelation, if we wish to have God working in our lives to help us with our lives, we need to learn to be quiet. We must cultivate silence, Ezekiah, in our lives. Forgive me, my brothers and sisters, but we talk too much. And I don't just mean we talk too much, because if you've talked to me, you know I, I talk too much. But we tend to fill all the spaces that could be silence, not just with our words. We invite noise constantly into our lives. We get in the car, and the first thing we do is we turn on the radio. We go on a jog or a walk, and we put in our earbuds, and we turn on a podcast, or we listen to music. Now, podcasts and music, they're all good, but they drive away any chance we have for silence. Many people, most maybe, I don't know, turn on the television just as background noise. Have you known people that have background TV? When was the last time you went to the bathroom without your phone? <laughs> Our lives chase away silence. When I was a young man in high school, I was trying to be a Christian. And the people who were mentoring me at the time, coming out of the Jesus movement of the 70s, it was a really big deal for Christians to have a quiet time. Do many of you remember this? Quiet time. Your mentors might say, hey, how's your quiet time going? Have you had time for your quiet time? Oh, I can't do that just yet. I got to have my quiet time. I can't mow the lawn, Mom. Got to have my quiet time. <laughs> but it was a thing. I'm not sure that's a thing anymore. We leave little room for silence. We leave little space for God to work and to speak, to reveal himself to us in the midst of our circumstances. But it is in our silence, the quiet of our open hearts, 
that we can encounter God and experience transfiguration. That we can begin to be transfigured from his image in which we are created into his likeness to become more like him. This is not all our fault, my brothers and sisters. We are all victims of a very noisy world and a noisy culture. And there are sinister forces constantly trying to push out any chance for silence, for quiet, for God. The evil one would rather us have no quiet time in our life. Silence, being quiet, is not in fashion. Even if we desire quiet, is it even possible? Our lives are so busy, partly by the demands of our life, but partly by our habits. We fill every moment we can with something, and that something is not quiet. Now, there are many examples that I could draw from the lives of the saints about how, in a busy, busy world, we can seek quiet. But I'll skip my other examples and turn right to the Theotokos. This, this is the season of the Theotokos, and we are about to approach a major feast day. And I have a piece here again that I'd like to read. Forgive me, I shouldn't tell you this is long. It's not that long. But it talks about the mother of God and her Isikia, her silence. Many times, Father Sophroni spoke to us about the dangers the mother of God faced and how she allowed nothing of the fragrance of the Holy Spirit invested in her heart to escape, whether she was in great joy or in tremendous affliction. Now, it was unheard of for a virgin to conceive. Therefore, even though Joseph was a just man in the language of scriptures, this meant he was above the laws of flesh and led by the Spirit, he was still confused and suspicious. Nevertheless, the evident holiness of her person would not permit him to make of her a public example. Under Jewish law, she would normally have been stoned. His solution was to quietly abandon her. But even as the danger of death increased day by day, as she was showing more and more, her perfect faith Hope and love in him whom she had conceived were stronger than any danger. Her heart was sealed. And when later she saw the angels of God going up and down above the cave at Bethlehem, and the reverent magi uttering their wondrous words, and the shepherds bringing witness to the miracle, she silently kept all these things in her heart. As the gospel says, Likewise, she uttered nothing when St. Simeon, the God-receiver, took Christ in his arms and called him a light to the Gentiles, the glory of thy people Israel. These were conventional terms that were used to designate the divine Messiah. And Simeon, the righteous, was in fact proclaiming him to the Jews as the Messiah, Emmanuel, Savior of the world, for whom all were waiting. Addressing the mother of God, he then said that a sword would pierce her soul, prophetically alluding to the moment, moment of Christ's crucifixion when she would see the life of all hanging upon the cross. Again at that moment, although her pain was greater than anyone else's, 
could ever be. She never opened her mouth. Whereas those present smote their breasts and departed, the mother of God stood by the cross in a godlike manner, bearing a pain which was deeper than all human pain, because her love for her son and her God was deeper than anyone else's. She was all perfect. And neither in joy nor in affliction did she open her mouth, but she dwelt in the quiet of her heart. To dwell in the quiet of our hearts. This is our spiritual struggle. This is where we can meet Christ God. We come to Christ with all of our problems, and like the disciples, we ask why can't we cast it out? Why can't we figure this out? Why can't we experience healing? Why am I not being transfigured into the Christian, into the person I want to be? And he answers us in the words of today's gospel, because your faith is still small. This kind of faith only comes through prayer and fasting. That is, through patient, hopeful waiting on the Lord in the quiet of our hearts. Transfiguration for most of us will come little by little by little and only as much as we can bear according to the hymns we just sang, according to our faith. And our faith is still little. Now I realize that it seems like I might be talking about two different things. There is that willful struggle against the noise that presses in, that tempts us, that prevents us, and it consumes our, any quiet spaces in our lives. And then I'm also talking about a prayerful struggle inside of us for a quiet heart. But really, these are, are the two sides of the same struggle, our struggle to encounter God. Now, it is simplistic to say that this is our hesychasm, our hesychia, like the, the great hesychasts. But this is, our, is to be our, our method, is to be silent before God. No revelation, no transfiguration can happen without a time of preparation, without a time of being silent and listening to God. What would our life be like if in humility and simplicity we took every chance we had for a little silence, a little quiet, and during that time we were to direct our hearts and our minds towards our loving God. Instead of turning on the radio when we get in the car, we turn on, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me. When we go on a walk, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. The prayer of Jesus preserves the silence of our heart, and it creates that space where God can speak. What if, by the struggle of our will and God's help, we actually ordered our lives so as to have a quiet time, that we set aside a time each day to reach out to Christ, to be quiet before him? If we could do that, would we even know what to do with the silence? It seems that our society and us, to a lesser extent, we're, afra we're afraid of silence. We don't know what's going to happen there. 
we don't know what thoughts we're going to have. But if we're intentional about our silence, if we're intentional about reaching out to God, what we will do in those quiet moments are the things that we know we're supposed to do to aid in our salvation. We will pray. We will talk with God from our hearts. We will read scripture and spiritual books, secondly, and we'll listen to God who is speaking to us all the time. We will immerse ourselves in the liturgy with all the silence and quiet of of heart that we can bring. We will listen and we will receive him in hopeful expectation. Do we have that hopeful expectation today? That little by little that today in today's liturgy, he will begin in the silence of our hearts to transform us, to transfigure us? Forgive me. I've said a lot of words basically telling you all to have a quiet time. (laughs) But it really is only in a quiet heart, in humility and simplicity and peace, that we can truly meet God and that we can be transfigured into his likeness so that he can make us more like him. Amen. Amen.